Father, we ask that you would pour out your power on those individuals who live in Central Merritt Island. God, we know there are many thousands of people that we believe Christ died to save who surround these men, women, and children every single day. Father, when when they go home today, they'll drive past thousands of people who are far from you but near to them. All week long when they go and come from work, when, when they are out in their yards working, when they're taking their walks or exercising on their jogs or whatever it is they may be doing in that part of our community, whether they're, they're, they're living there, whether they're, they're playing there with their families, whether they're working there or shopping there or going uh, to restaurants there, Father, they are your missionaries to take the gospel of Jesus with them as they go. So Father, we're asking you, God, would you open up some awesome doors for them this week? Would you open up conversations for the sake of the gospel that people who are standing right now would be able to tell someone else about Jesus? And would you open up those people's hearts to believe in Christ? Lord, could we celebrate more baptisms as people come to faith in Jesus Christ from Central Merritt Island? Lord, we're asking you for a God thing, a revival, a renewal, a great awakening among the people of our community. And Lord, empower your people to share your good news with those Jesus died to save. And Lord, we know that it's not just for those who are standing and it's not just for Central Merritt Island. Father, I pray that all of us would leave this place on mission with Jesus to know him and make him known in this community. And Lord, we look forward to doing what I just did a few moments ago when I was praying in the lobby with the dad of the young man who was saved and baptized this morning as he cried his eyes out because he'd been praying for his son for years. I've been praying for that young man with that dad for years. And God, I look forward to seeing how you answer this prayer through the salvation of men, women, and children in our community. Lord, we need you, we love you, we pray you'd bless the churches of this community and and fill us even now with your spirit and the knowledge of your truth. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen. All right, you can be seated now. Uh, Look forward, hey, if you have a gospel opportunity this week, if, if you get to serve someone for the sake of Christ or get to share the gospel with someone, would you let one of our pastors know so we can celebrate that with you? We wanna be able to share with our church family how God's answering their prayers. So thank you for participating in that and let's be praying for one another through the week. If you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter one. Philippians chapter one. Uh, this morning, we're gonna continue our study in Philippians. And, uh, and there's a really cool thing about going verse by verse through a book of the Bible. You get to see how the truth builds upon itself as you're reading the Bible um, verse by verse in sequence. And so what we've seen to this point is that God desires for his people to be filled with joy and that they're filled with joy as they understand and believe the message of the gospel and as they live on mission for the sake of the gospel. And we saw in uh, a couple of weeks ago in, in verse six of chapter one that Paul is confident in the work of Jesus in the lives of these people when he 
says, I, I'm confident of this very thing. I'm sure of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. So God has started a work in you. So Paul has this confidence, this expectation based on Jesus starting something in him and starting something in them. And so his confidence fills him with joy because he knows I've seen the end of this movie. I know how it turns out. God wins and so do we in Jesus Christ. And so he's filled with joy and confidence. And then he moves into this place of encouraging them to live for the sake of the gospel by saying, even what's going on with me and all of my suffering and my pain, God is redeeming and using to spread the gospel throughout this, this area of the world and particularly here in Rome around me. And so he's filled with joy and confidence. And then last week we started here in verses 18 through 26. And what we saw is that because Paul is confident of God's work in him, he has this expectation that Jesus would be exalted or magnified. The the word is honored in the ESV. He says, I know that God is gonna be honored. He says, it's my hope and my eager expectation. Jesus will be honored. That word honored means to magnify. And we talked about it like this last week, that there are two types of magnifying, one that a telescope does and one that a microscope does. You guys remember that? A microscope takes something that's really small and makes it look bigger than it actually is so you can see the details. A telescope takes something that's huge but looks small to our eyes and makes it look a little bit closer to its actual size so you can see it for what it is. And when we magnify Jesus, it's not the way that a microscope does, it's the way that a telescope does. We get to show more clearly to this world who Jesus is, the details of his glory and his majesty. And so Paul says, that's my expectation because of what Jesus is doing in me. I want Christ to be honored whether I live or die. I want him to be magnified in the way that I live and the way that I die. And there's that famous verse there in verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He said, this is the bedrock for me. Jesus is so glorious and so wonderful. I want other people to see him and he's so glorious and so wonderful. He's done something in me. He has revolutionized my reason for living for to me to live is Christ. That's what he says. And, and I hope that you know this. And we didn't have a lot of time to do it last week and don't have a lot of time to do it this week. But that was the reason we were created. To glorify God, to enjoy him forever. To say for to me to live is Christ. It's all about Jesus. And in the text we saw last week, and we're gonna read it in just a moment, I showed you four ways that Paul magnifies Jesus by the way he lives. Four ways Jesus is being honored through Paul's living. And just want to encourage you with that. We saw last week that, that Jesus is honored when we live like prayer changes things. We live like prayer changes things. It honors, it magnifies Jesus because it says something about Jesus. It says he's able to when we're not and he's willing to when we ask, right? That says something great about Jesus. Here are the other three ways we see uh, Paul exalting or honoring Jesus in this text. He is honoring Jesus. Jesus is honored when you live like Jesus is in control. Jesus is honored when you live like Jesus is in control. Jesus is honored when you live like the promises of Jesus are true. And Jesus is honored when you live like serving others for the sake of Jesus is more important than others serving you for the sake of you. All right? Did you guys hear me? Because I can't tell. Uh, It's it's hard to see some of your faces out there. Uh, 
we're going to look at that this morning, okay? So those are three ways now that we're going to look at it. Jesus is honored when you live like he's in control, when you believe his promises are true, and when you live like serving others for the sake of Jesus is more important than others serving you for the sake of you, okay? So now let's see it in this passage of scripture. Philippians chapter one, beginning in verse 18. Why then only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall not which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two, whether I should live or die. He says, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that's far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. This is the word of God for us this morning. So let's look at those three ways that are remaining and how Paul is honoring Jesus here in his life. First, Jesus is honored when you live like Jesus is in control. Look there at verse 19 really quickly. He says, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Christ, now look at this phrase, this will turn out for my deliverance. That's where I see Jesus being in control. This will turn out He's imprisoned, he's been beaten, he's been falsely accused, and he says, listen, it's gonna turn out. Now, you can look at that phrase in a couple of different ways. You can say it's gonna turn out, like we say to people when we're trying to comfort them, but we don't really exactly know what's gonna happen. You guys ever been in that situation? Something's happening at somebody's work, or, or something's happening at somebody's school, and you don't know all the circumstances, but you're saying just to comfort that person, hey, I'm sure it'll all turn out okay, right? You guys ever, you've heard that? That's one way you can say it. It's basically saying, based on random chance or circumstances that I hope kind of align themselves by themselves, I'm sure it's gonna turn out okay. That's one way you can use it. I don't believe Paul is using it that way. I believe he's using it the way that I would use it when I go to Judy Turner's house for dinner. Here's what I say. If Judy is in the kitchen, it's gonna turn out okay. Judy can cook. All right, so I have this confidence based on what I know to be true about her and my experience at her table. I say, it's going to turn out. I'm not in any doubt about that. I go to her house hungry. I lose my diet every time I do because it's going to turn out when Judy's in the kitchen. That's how Paul is using that phrase. He says, here I am in prison. Here I've been beaten. Here I've been falsely accused. My circumstances are way less than ideal and it's going to turn out. Why? Because Jesus is in control of this whole mess. He's not saying because I think Caesar's going to have a change of heart or because the magistrates are going to get it all right or the Roman justice system will prevail. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, listen, Jesus Christ is on the throne. Go with me to Matthew 28. You guys don't look like you either know that or believe that. So let's look a little bit closer at that. Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to show you what the Bible says about this and how it took place in the life of the followers of Jesus here in first century. Matthew chapter 28, and here at the very end, Jesus has already 
lived his earthly ministry. He's been crucified. He's been raised again back to new life. And he gathers with his followers and he's getting ready to send them out on the mission that Paul is on right here. The, the mission he's, he's suffering for in a Roman prison. And look what he says. Jesus says here in Matthew 28, and we're going to begin reading here in verse 18. Jesus came to them and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. How much authority? How much is all? Pretty much all of it, right? Where? In heaven and earth. What's left? Where are you going to go? Where you're not under the all authority of Jesus. That word authority means he has the power and the right to do whatever he wants to do. See that? Jesus Christ is the capital A authority over all things in heaven and in earth. You want to know why? Because he's God Almighty. Jesus has authority over all things. All things. All How many things? All things. Now look at how this takes shape in Acts chapter 4. I want you to see something. Go to Acts chapter 4. So Jesus has all authority over all things. Pretty, pretty all-inclusive there, right? So he sends these guys out on a mission to make his message known. They go out, and you would think if they go there for under the authority of Christ, it would go pretty well for them, right? You'd think, man, if you're going out under the authority of Almighty God who has authority over everything, it's going to go your way, right? Drop my notes or something here, man. I might need those later on. Here's the story. It's the exact opposite of what you might think. They go out under the authority of Christ and it all falls apart on the surface. The people who killed Jesus grab them, put them in prison, beat them, and threaten them with their lives. So, so the people who just killed Jesus a few days before, a few weeks before, have them in custody, threaten them, and say, don't you dare talk about Jesus in this city. They get released from prison under the threat of death, and I want you to see what they say. They gather here in Acts chapter 4, and here's what they say in verse 24. They begin lifting their voices, and it says, when they heard it, they lifted their voices. They heard this threat coming from the authorities of Rome here in Jerusalem. They lifted their voices together to God and said, now look at this, sovereign Lord. You know what that is? That's the master who's in control. That's what sovereign Lord means. They say, Jesus, we're lifting our voices. Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Jesus, you're the one who made it all, including Caesar and the Sanhedrin and the city we're living in and our bodies and theirs. You made it all and you have control over all of it. And look how they pray. Look at how they pray here in verse 27. Truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and all the peoples. Now what could those enemies of God possibly do? Well, they killed Jesus, right? But look how they describe it here. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. 
They say, we're getting beaten, we're getting thrown in jail, and here's what we know, you're still in control. Yes. Satan call you by surprise at all, and you will turn it for good. You want to know the greatest example of God having power to turn evil circumstances for good? When creation murdered an innocent man named Jesus, who just so happened to be God in the flesh. The greatest thing that ever happened in the history of the world was the work that Jesus Christ did to redeem people and God used the evil work of sinful, murderous men to accomplish it. Why? Because he's stronger than evil and he's in control. It reminded me of this. It exalts God when we see this and we live like this is true. And it reminded me of a a few years ago when Emily and I took our kids to uh, Walt Disney World. And uh, we were doing what you do in Walt Disney World, standing in line somewhere. And there I am standing in line and I'm behind these these two ladies who are visiting uh, Disney World. Um, as grown adults without kids, which, you know, isn't weird or anything. No, I, seriously, there they are. And, and they're, they're the grown adult Disney fans, which is great. I know some of them are, are here, uh, but they're talking to each other. And here's what they're saying. They just can't brag enough about Disney. We're waiting in line for what? An hour and a half, whatever, to, to see Mickey and, and for 30 seconds. I don't know what the story was. Here we are, and they can't say enough good things about Disney. And one of them says to the other, you know, they have just thought of everything. And I thought, ladies, aren't you overestimating that just a little bit? Like, they thought of everything. Like, they were talking about crowd control and how they've laid out the park and how they've got the lines sorted, how they got wait times. And, and they're just saying, Disney's thought about everything. There's foam at the mouth. Disney's thought about everything. And I'm like, man, that's, that's sort of sad that you've got that much confidence in Disney. And then fast forward just a little bit later in the day, I took my kids to Space Mountain. And if you've ever been on Space Mountain, it's a roller coaster in the dark and you sit in single files. So you don't sit next to your kids. You sit behind your kids. They're strapped into a seat. You can't see them because it's dark and they're little and you can't peer over it and you can't reach them you know that that whole deal so I strap my loved one into this seat who's just barely enough to have hair that scrapes the bottom of the measuring stick you know when we put some tissues in their shoes to make her a little bit bigger but I'm I'm there they are I strap them in we take off out of station I'm I'm grasping up there. And you know what I do? I start doing a little self-talk. It'll be okay, Titus. They've thought of everything. This is Disney, man. They've thought about everything. Actually, what I started to think is they don't want to get sued. They set the high requirements. At the, I started thinking of this way. Of course, I was praying and going through and I was trying to talk through, just enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride. They've thought of it. They've thought of it. And here's what struck me on that day as I was going through that process. What a shame that we live at Disney World with this idea that, oh, even though those pirates are shooting their cannons at us, we'll be okay. They've thought of everything. You're in the middle of a ride and apparently aliens land into the middle of one of those rides at one point in time and you think, it'll be okay. They've thought of everything. They've got it under control and we pay them money to go experience it. And somehow we live at Disney World with this confidence in Disney in a way that we don't live in the real world with the confidence in Christ. I just want to say something to you guys. Enjoy the ride. You hear that? Jesus 
has it under control. And our world is looking at followers of Christ who are communicating something about Jesus in this world. And I know it looks like it's falling apart. And I know it looks like the whole thing's coming apart at the seams. And I know it looks like it's all decaying. And I know it looks like it's falling all in around us. I know what it looks like. I live here too. Let's enjoy the ride. Jesus has it under control. You hear me? Anybody heard anyone feel panicked about the upcoming election? Am I the only one? Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, you know this, that deal? What are we going to do? What are we gonna, we're going to trust Jesus. That's what we're going to do because Jesus has it under control. And it says something in our workplaces and in our neighborhoods and in our homes to our kids, in our car rides when we're hearing the news reports. It says something to our kids when we live like Jesus has it under control. And we say, you know what? It's not going to rob me of my joy. I've read the whole book. I know how this ends. And I believe Jesus has it under control. Right? All right, I got two more points. We got to keep moving on. So Jesus is honored when we live like he is in control. All right, let's, let's look at this next one, though, because we, li- we, we, we honor Jesus when we live like his promises are true. Go back to Philippians 1. Go back to Philippians 1. And I want to show you where I see this, okay? He says, I- I'm, I'm expecting, because of what I know that Jesus is doing in me, I'm expecting that, that I won't be ashamed because Christ will finish the work he began and that with full cor- courage, now as always, Christ is going to be honored in my body, whether by, whether by life or death. And then verse 21, here's what he says. For to me, to live is Christ. And look at this next phrase. And to die is gain. Yes. Hear that? Jesus is exalted when you believe his promises are true. And here Paul just said, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Why would he say that? Because every, listen, every natural inclination of human beings is to avoid death like the plague. And by the way, we avoid the plague because it'll kill us, right? Why would you say that death is gain then when we're all strapping in seatbelts, wearing helmets on our bicycles in order to, to keep death at bay? Why would you say death is gain? Because you believe what Jesus says about death. Let me just give you two promises. The Bible's filled with promises from Jesus about life and death. I'm just gonna give you the two. John 3, 16, you guys know this one, all right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not what? Perish. The word perish means to spend eternity separated from God under his wrath in a place called hell. And, and John three sixteen says you don't have to experience that. You would not perish if you trust in Jesus, but will what? Have everlasting life. Jesus says, let me tell you something about what happens to people who trust in me. They pass from this world and and they don't go under the wrath of God separated forever from the, the joy and pleasure of Christ. No, they don't get that at all. They go directly into the presence of God and experience eternal, full, complete everlasting, infinite life in the presence of Almighty God. John 14, a little bit further in that, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. 
You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. Some of you are like, it says mansions in my Bible. I know what you're saying. If it weren't so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will without a doubt come again and receive you to myself that where I am there, you might be also. It's a promise. Here's what he says. Here's what's after life. Here's what's after death. Eternity in infinite life, everlasting life in the presence of Jesus. You know what the Bible says about the presence of Jesus? Psalm 1611, at your right hand, there's a fullness of joy and pleasure forevermore. Here's what he says. You know what what happens to a follower of Jesus when you pass from this life through death? You pass from death into life. Full, abundant, complete, eternal life. And here's what Paul is saying. I believe that's actually true. So here's the choice I'm faced with, Philippians. As I'm facing death in the face, here's what I'm, I'm facing. Either leave this mess where I'll never be sick or hurt or beaten or entrapped or enslaved or imprisoned or disappointed again and enter into the presence of the fullness of joy that I can't even imagine and every pleasure that I've never even known and every pleasure I have known is only been a small foretaste of the eternal pleasure I could either go there or I could stay here in jail or on this fallen planet he says listen I actually believe what Jesus says about death I actually believe what Jesus says about everything and it communicates something to our world. It exalts Christ when we live like his promises are true because they are. It says he's trustworthy. He never fails. My kids used to play a cool game with me. We never came up with it for a name. You guys can name it. Maybe we'll do a contest or something. Here's the game. They would climb up steps or up a, like a, a tree or, or they'd climb up onto like playground equipment and then they would yell out, Dad, can you catch me? And, and, and I'd look and kind of measure it up and i think, yeah. And then I'd say something, Jump. And then like flying squirrels with no regard at all for their health or safety, they would leave a perfectly safe platform and just launch themselves right at me, like that, to the point over and over again that throughout their early childhood as they were getting into that, that place and before they, they uh, uh, did it with their mom and she dropped them. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. No, before they got big enough, Right to finally say, hey, you got to stop this. They would just launch without saying anything. In midair, they just do the old, oh, by the way, dad, here I come. You know, that kind of a deal. Here's why, here's why. They trusted me because I I never dropped them. Ever. And it says a couple things. One, it says I missed my calling as a wide receiver in the NFL. Uh, 100% catch rate, pretty good. By the way, just, just a little for instance, I'm throwing this in for some fun. It's always encouraging when people come up to me and say, hey man, you missed your calling. Uh, and then they fill in the blank with something else because it, it makes it feel like I'm not doing what I should do. So I'm just gonna throw that in there. Somebody once told me, hey man, you missed your calling. You should have been this. And I couldn't help but scratch my head and be like, you mean I shouldn't be doing this is what you mean. Anyhow, so it says something about me. Here's what it says. I, 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 I've kept my word. I've caught my kids. They've never fallen under my care, right? 
You notice that's to our world. When we live like the promises of Jesus are true, here's what happens. You take Jesus at his word, you know what you're gonna find? He doesn't drop you. You don't fall. He, he keeps his word. He does what he says. So when he says something like this, hey, let me tell you something. It's more blessed for you to give than receive. Hey, when you store up for yourself treasures in heaven that moth and rust don't, don't corrupt and thieves don't break through and steal, this is a, it's a pretty amazing gig. As a matter of fact, when you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all of these things are actually added to you and my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. When you take him in his word, you do that. You know what you find? Oh, when I step out of the boat, I'm actually walking on water. Jesus is keeping his word. And when Jesus keeps his word, you get to say something. You get to say this. Jesus keeps his word. You can believe it. You can live like it's true and it exalts Jesus and it blesses you. I, I, I read a, a, a statistic. I've shared some of these dynamics with you before, but I read a statistic this week that in the early uh, 20th century, early and mid parts of the 20th century, three out of four Americans, three out of four Americans were actively engaged in a local church. So that's, that's I can do that math. It's 75%, okay? Three out of four. Fast forward. Here's where we are right now. For people born 1980 and after, 4% are actively engaged in a local church in America. 75% to those who are my age and younger, basically. 4%. And I've talked to a lot of, that's my peers. I've talked to them. As I've been talking to my peers about faith, about why they've left the church, about why, here's what I get over and over again. You guys can do your own research and look into this, but here's what I get over and over again. People aren't leaving Christianity because the claims are too big to be believed. My peers that I've spoken with have left the church because they've grown up in a church, not that had claims too big to be believed, but because they lived like they didn't believe the claims. So we hoard up all of our assets instead of releasing them into the kingdom of God. You know what that looks like? It looks like we don't believe what Jesus says. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. When we say, I am going to worry myself sick, we don't believe what Jesus says when he says, you don't need to be anxious for anything. You're more valuable than many sparrows. God takes care of them. He'll take care of you. When he he says there's greater pleasure to be found in giving rather than receiving or or maintaining purity or seeking his righteousness and his his way of living, we, we live like we don't believe the promises of God. And that says something to our children and to our community. And when we live like we believe the promises of God, it says something too. It exalts Christ. It says he's worth trusting and he never lets me fall. All right, so Christ is honored. When you pray like prayer changes things, when you live like Jesus is in control and when you, you, you believe, you live like you believe the promises of God. And just this last thing really quickly is here in uh, verse 25 or verse 24 never mind verse 23 he says I'm hard pressed between the two between life and death he says my desire is to depart and be with Christ why because it's way better man verse 24 but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account convinced of this I know I'll remain and continue with you all 
for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample calls to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Do you see what he says there? He says, if I have to choose between the two, hang out on a broken, fallen, sinful planet where I get beaten every other week and I live in prison or go to paradise with Jesus and experience eternal pleasure, hmm, wonder which one I'd choose. He says, but it's not about me. It's not about me. He says, it's better for you if I stay, so I'll choose to stay because I want something for you. Namely, I want you to, to glory in Jesus Christ so that Christ will be exalted in you the way I'm confident he'll be exalted in me. And Christ is honored when we live like serving other people for the sake of Jesus is more important than, serving, than other people serving us for the sake of us. When, when we get so satisfied in Christ, so filled with joy in Christ, so, so fulfilled in Jesus Christ that we can stop seeing the people in our life as, as assets and commodities that are there to, to satisfy us, to fulfill us, to do our bidding, serve us, to meet our needs. When we're so satisfied in Christ that we're released from that and we say, you don't, have to, you don't have to live in my life to serve me. Christ has already met my needs and satisfied me and I'm freed from that enough to be able to live to serve you for the glory of Christ. You know what exalts Christ when you live in your home in a way where you, you, you don't have to hold your spouse hostage to serve you because you've already been fulfilled by Jesus Christ? And you can kneel and serve your spouse for the sake of Jesus by, by saying, Christ already fulfills me, honey, so I'm not looking for you to be my savior. I'm looking for you to be my bride. You don't have to live your life circling around me. Live your life circling around Jesus. He's already satisfied me. I know he'll satisfy you. Do you know when you, you see your kids, not, not as these projects who can take out your trash and get things done around your house, but, but, but they can be these people that you get to say, it doesn't have to be my way because Jesus has already met my needs. Let's look to Jesus and see how he will fulfill us as a family. It says something about Christ to your kids. You don't have to get your own way because Christ is meeting your needs at your jobs. It exalts Jesus when you say, I can serve my coworkers and I can give up this cutthroat competition for advancement and recognition because Jesus is enough for me. He's enough for me and he's released me into this job to serve you and do my best for his glory and your good. In our school, students, it exalts Jesus when you serve your classmates and your teachers. You give up the need to be served by them because Jesus has already served you and secured a good future in your life. You know what? In our churches, in our churches, it exalts Jesus when we come to a place in our hearts and to a place like this and we say, I don't have to sing my own songs. I don't, I don't have to have my favorite way of doing things or my favorite schedule or, or my favorite event or my favorite thing that satisfies my nostalgic tie to the past. When we're free in Christ, when we're satisfied in Christ, we say, hey, let's do what glorifies Jesus and helps 4% of people who love Jesus who are 35 and under live to reach their peers with the gospel of Jesus Christ because it ain't about me. It's about Christ being embraced. And someone who's far from God but near to us. And when we're already happy in Jesus, we are freed to live in a way that serves people and seeks to see them 
joined by faith with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is exalted when we live like serving others for the sake of Christ is more important than others serving us for the sake of us. So here's how I just want to close. I want to ask you to just bow your heads. We're going to move into a time of praising Jesus. But I just want to ask you to bow your heads and enter into a time of, of reflection. And I want to ask you just a couple of things. First of all, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Are you trusting in Jesus to save you? If not, if you don't know that, certainly do not leave this place without coming and speaking with one of our pastors at the close of the service about your relationship with Jesus. Eternity is far too long and hell is far too real for you to pass from this life not knowing Christ as your savior. For those of you who are struggling to live like Jesus is under control, I just want to encourage you right now, would you think about the, the most challenging part of your life right now, the, 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 the most chaotic, desperate situation in your life right now? We've all got them, what's yours? Is Jesus stronger than that? Is Jesus wise enough to do what he can do? Does Jesus have authority over that thing in your life? Is he still in control? Yes. I'm gonna encourage you right now. Would you pray right now as you're thinking through that chaotic element in your life, that situation you can't do anything about, that place in your family, your job, your home that's desperate? Would you ask that God would fill you with faith to live like you believe Jesus is in control? What about the promises of God? There are some of you who know right away promises that you're struggling to believe. Would you pray that God would give you faith to believe that every promise of God's word is true and to live in your life like you believe every promise is true? What about serving others for the sake of Jesus? Has God freed you from the need to use other people to satisfy you or to fill you with joy or fulfillment? Has he so filled you with himself that you no longer have to use others to serve you? Who's he calling you to serve for the sake of Jesus? Who's your five, those five people in your life you're relating to, to show and share the gospel? Would you pray for them right now? That God would give you ways to serve them for the sake of Jesus Christ. Father, I'm asking you to stir our hearts that we would desire for Christ to be exalted in us. Father, I pray that we would want deep in our hearts for Jesus to be magnified, to be shown how glorious and beautiful he is through our living and even through our dying. Father, would you stir us this week to pray like we believe prayer changes things, to to live like we believe Jesus is under control. 
Father, to, to, to live like we believe all the promises of Christ are true. To live like, like we believe that serving others for the sake of Christ is more important than them serving us and give us opportunity to serve for the name of Jesus, to display the promises of Christ, the power of Jesus in our living, the praying that changes things. Be exalted in us, Father. Thank you for what Christ is doing and I thank you that you've promised this will occur because he who began that good work in us will faithfully complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.